everybody to our first episode of our podcast of our CODI. Our CODI is a research center for open digital innovation at Purdue University and we are studying how digital technologies can change uh, the way we innovate and solve really challenging problems. And today our first guest is Anne Myshak. She is a chair professor at Marshall at University of South um, Southern California, not Carolina, sorry about that. And um, she's real, an expert on digital innovation. And um, today um, I'm excited that she will be talking and sharing experiences um, from her research on crowdsourcing. And she also published a book, Unleashing the Crowd, Collaborative Solutions for B Wicked Business and Societal Problems. And we will learn more about crowdsourcing, and how to unleash the crowd from her today. Okay, and are we ready? We sure are. Okay, great. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, for a general audience, can you give a brief summary of the concept of innovation, crowdsourcing, and why organizations should use it for innovation? Sure, of course. Um, and again, thank you, uh, Sabine, for inviting me to this uh, wonderful podcast. I've been following your center for many, many years and excited about all the research you guys do and, and know how important it is and it's foundational. I use it, I use your, I use your uh, research in my own research. So thank you for inviting me. This is a very exciting opportunity for me. Now to address your question, um, today organizations cannot stay in business without constantly innovating. Um, new, and they, by innovating, we mean come up with new products and new services or uh, new markets or new partnerships. And they can't, basically, they can't rest on their laurels, so to speak. In other words, uh, the way they currently do business is fine, but then the competitors will catch up and surpass them. So they have to constantly be thinking about what's new. And this is not just for large businesses. This is for small businesses, as, as many of us are are um, uh, uh, viewing this from a pandemic perspective, and we can see that that's, uh, we have to figure out how to innovate into what's referred to as the new normal. And so instead of, so, in a, so these companies are looking for ways to innovate, and they're trying to come up with new ideas. And so the question is, is how, where do you come up with these ideas? They don't just come out of the blue. And if you just speak to your existing customer base, then what ends up happening is you're, you get innovations for your existing customer base. And so what you really want to do is come up with innovations that might disrupt the industry or might give you come up with new ways of revenue, new sources of thinking about how you, um, how you generate uh, impact in the, in, in, the, uh, in the world. And so we refer to most of these uh, companies refer to what's called the ecosystem. And that's something that, um, that your center studies a great deal, which is uh, understanding the ecosystem of an organization. And that's what's referred to, in my view, as the crowd. So the ecosystem for, for an organization wouldn't just be their existing customers. It would be people, um, it would be suppliers, suppliers to suppliers. It would be competitors. It would be uh, potential competitors, or what we call, uh, it might be complementers, people who, organizations who provide other kinds of services. It would be 
uh, technology vendors, uh, current technology vendors, future technology vendors. It might be different industries that maybe you could sell to. So for example, if you're a small restaurant, maybe it's not just simply the, um, the uh, ecosystem of your suppliers, but it could be maybe foodies um, and uh, discussion groups who don't currently go to your, um, to your restaurants but are interested enough in food and uh, to, to be thinking about ways of, uh, of, of, of innovating in this space. And so, so this is, uh, so, so some members of these, this ecosystem will never buy your product, but that's okay because uh, you're, not, you're not expecting that the ecosystem itself generates revenue. It's that the ecosystem will end up generating ideas um, that you can then translate into revenue generation, uh, and that's that's really what we're what's referred to as, as uh, open innovation crowdsourcing. Uh, and so, uh -huh. so basically, yeah, uh, um, innovation. To summarize, innovation crowdsourcing is a method for an organization to access the crowd. Mm -hmm. So, just one follow-up question: um, You are speaking about, you know not just organizations in the, in, in the ecosystem, but the actual individual, like the individual plays an important role uh, in, that, in, the, in the world of innovation crowdsourcing rather than just other like organization that are well, really integrated. Yes, thank you for clarifying that. Yes, and so, so it, it could be it, employees inside the organization would be certainly part of your crowd and it would be, um, like, I, like we said, the individual foodies or an individual supplier or an individual, or an individual in the supply chain. Right. Okay. So crowdsourcing, you know, there's a lot of work out there in crowdsourcing. So um, innovation crowdsourcing is then different from crowdsourcing because it's actually about using the crowd for an innovation-related task, so that you basically innovate as an organization. So that's yes, very good, yeah. very good. And you're right. There are these other forms of crowdsourcing, like uh, like open source software, where you're just um, you're completing a task, or Mechanical Turk, where you're again completing a task, and that's not what we're talking about. Yeah. Okay. So then I'm um, moving on um, to your book, where you also describe um, the disappointments um, of an idea sharing approach uh, when implementing innovation crowdsourcing. Yeah, so the current um, uh, reality of, almost, of all the vendors um, and of all the uses of crowdsourcing is to say um, is what we might call the idea sharing approach, uh, where what you're doing is you're going to your crowd and you're asking them, uh, give me an idea. And, uh, and what happens is when you do that, the ideas are not very good. Uh, either they're not very, they're not feasible, or they tend to be ideas you would have already thought about. And so, so what ha has happened over the years is that you get you get companies who have reported to us, um, like chief innovation officers, who have reported to us that most of the ideas we get are ones we've already thought of. Or another uh, telling quote is, "We use crowdsourcing just for marketing now." since it's not useful for helping us to solve real and difficult problems. Now, I want to clarify that if you can define your problem very narrowly, uh, then certainly you can use um, certain crowdsourcing methods 
um, uh, such as uh, in, in, in offensive where they'll, um, they have a captive crowd of very creative people who are very deep in their specialty. And, uh, and so if, for example, you have a very narrowly defined problem, like you need a certain kind of metal um, to, to be able to, to handle a certain kind of heat, um, certainly in those kinds of situations, um, crowdsourcing, idea crowdsourcing is useful. Or, um, or if you're uh, Procter & Gamble and you're looking at dentists to tell you, uh, let's say, an idea of a new toothpaste flavor that, you, that they think that their customers might like, then certainly um, open innovation and idea crowdsourcing is, is useful. But when you're talking about uh, what I would call more disruptive innovation, um, uh, new products, new, new services, new ways of thinking about how to, uh, about the market of your, of your uh, products or new partnerships, um, idea, uh, idea sharing, um, crowdsourcing just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. um, we've, um, we've seen lots of examples of where what happens is they, uh, people provide an individual idea and it's not implementable. Mm -hmm. Or they'll provide an idea that is not very novel because they don't know very much about the industry. Mm -hmm. So, for example, there was um, a study of uh, a NASA uh, did 13 crowdsourcing, uh, uh, crowdsourcing idea sharing crowdsourcing using Harvard uh, to help them do it. And out of the 13, only three were considered uh, successful in the sense that um, only three uh, actually generated ideas that they uh, that NASA was able to implement. The the remainder remainder were uh, not very useful to mm -hmm. them. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. That also resonates with some of my experiences when I work with large organizations that tried to you know experiment with crowdsourcing for innovation, and then in the end said, you know, this doesn't really work because the, the ideas we have them all already. Um, just. One kind of you know clarification question for the audience. Some might know maybe the you know the famous kind of Netflix competition where Netflix is asking for people to come up with an algorithm for better um, you know um, recommendations of what movie to watch. Um, that would be some of those problems that are you know where it's well defined. You can evaluate you know evaluate it because it needs you know it's a predictiveness. Um, you know, because you have a data set, and it's not necessarily what you would call wicked also in your book. Is that correct? Yes. And also I'd like to point out that um, because Netflix and most companies are trying to, trying to structure their problems narrowly so that the crowd, so that individuals in a crowd can solve it. So what Netflix had to do was provide their data and in a particular way so that they could then get the kinds of algorithmic uh, analysis that, um, that they wanted from the crowd. Now, what ended up happening is they, they received a recommender engine, but ended up not using it, because it wasn't implementable in, um, in all the other issues that were relevant to Netflix at the time. Mm -hmm. So this is a perfect example of of where the company actually structured a problem 
and then got a solution to the problem, but then because they structured it, they didn't get the answer that they really could use. Mm -hmm. If they had left it more open to allow the crowd to do both analysis of their data, but maybe to also consider other issues, they might have gotten a, a solution that was mm -hmm. more implementable. Mm -hmm. So maybe, can you just, again, and sorry for um, just asking follow-up question here, what a wicked problem is and how that's different from a well-defined problem? Yeah, so a well-defined problem is a problem that has a clear answer. And so, so the, in the Netflix case, the problem, uh, the, the answer to the problem was um, uh, how, how closely could you do, uh, provide recommendations that fit the previous, um, uh, the, the previous uh, movie picks of, of, of their customer base that in, given the particular data set that they provided. So, that's a, so it's, a, it's clearly just a question of who can do better, uh, which, which crowd member can provide a better fit than another crowd member. So, so a lot of the, um, uh, the crowdsourcing, uh, idea-based crowdsourcing, is of this kind, where, you, um, where you've got this very clear fit index. And, um, and so it's, uh, and, the, and for example, in the NASA, it, it, it was often uh, soft development of so optimization software. So what would be a more uh, optimized uh, program that was developed. So any kind of structure, any kind of problem that is that has a right answer, mean, meaning a very clear, objectively evaluated answer, and so so as opposed to wicked, is a, those are ill-structured problems where they don't have necessarily a, a single right answer. Sometimes it's uh, sometimes you as the um, as the company sponsoring. The innovation challenge. You can say something like, "I am. I know it when I see it, but I can't define it in advance." And so it could be, um, for example, uh, we now have a lot of companies starting to do what's referred to as open innovation uh, strategy formulation. So what they're doing is they're asking the crowd to help them formulate business strategies. And uh, in particular, let's say, as they're moving from a, from a, a product-based organization to a service-based organization. So there's no right answer in coming up with a new strategy. There are better and worse answers. Um, there are answers that, are, that seem to be a better fit for one dimension of the solution than another. So like one dimension might be um, acceptance among all the potential stockholders. Um, a different dimension might be fast ramp up. Um, another dimension, uh, fast ramp up through production. Another dimension that you might evaluate might be a competitive advantage relative to other comp competitors. So, so the concept is with ill-structured or wicked problems, you don't have a single solution. So we see uh, companies using them increasingly um, as well as organizations, uh, NGOs, and government um, for, th uh, for like global climate change, um, uh, allocating water, um, uh, political, uh, uh, more politics-oriented kinds of uh, questions. And so it's, it's what we call important societal questions. So an organization might 
want to get some uh, ideas from the crowd about corporate social responsibility, um, or they might, or sustainability, or, or um, but it's not just societal. It can be, like I said, the strat open strategy development. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that resonates um, also well with some of our interests, you know, uh, societal and societal questions or related to sustainability. Where, and as you just mentioned, where government also plays an important role in now reaching out to the crowd to, you know, define policies, strategies, um, to, you know, create better, you know, a higher quality of life, and that's that's a very wicked problem. Um, yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, that's that's wonderful. Now let's move on to your book, where you move away from idea sharing and say idea sharing is not going to work, and you propose a slightly different approach. Can you describe, um, you know, the uh, the differences? Sure. You know, it occurred to me when I looked at the idea sharing crowdsourcing. It occurred to me that um, that there was nothing about the idea sharing crowdsourcing method that was taking advantage of all the research on innovation. And all the research on innovation says that people generally uh, don't come up with ideas in, uh, on their own in a corner of, of, a, um, of a particular location. I mean, even Einstein needed his wife at the time. And so, so you need people to talk about the, um, the uh, to talk about the problem statement, uh, the questions, the issues, the dimensions. You're trying to you're trying to engage in some kind of discourse about about the problem framing, about how to um, some uh, about some of the conflict contradictory objectives. And so so when I thought about that, I said, well, so how can we replay that? How can we play that out in a crowdsourcing context? And I realized that nobody's going to engage in a dialogue per se uh, in crowdsourcing because you know it's uh, because there's all these incentives to say don't talk to other people because the incentive is let me um, let me let me be the winner of this crowdsourcing. So I'm not going to share my ideas with others, and so. So then I said, okay, so how do we uh, uh, try and replay the innovation, um, innovation predictors in a crowdsourcing context? And I realized that what you could do is get crowd members to share knowledge about the problem and what, what, uh, what we would call creativity triggers. And so you ask them to share experiences they've had with that problem. So for example, um, in, in one challenge that we ran in New Zealand about pests, uh, trying to get rid of pests in New Zealand, um, people, some people would talk about the, uh, um, their experiences with trapping the pests. And other people would talk about the experiences of going into forests and not hearing the uh, indigenous um, uh, species and how, how sad that made them. And other people talked about um, the poisons that were being put down and, and how it was affecting the Maori way of life. And so, so the concept is that you get different people with different perspectives talking about the problem. And what ends up happening is those, those uh, experiences trigger other people's ideas of solutions in ways that they wouldn't have thought before. And so, so to take the New Zealand case, is they began to think about, well, okay, how do we how do we deal with pests 
without using, without cha changing the Maori way of life, in a way that maybe provides some rapid, um, a, 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 a rapid uh, rejuvenation of the um, indigenous uh, species, the um, uh, near extinct um, species, and and use traps. And so, so that was sort of this con combination of other people's um, experiences to then create this idea that um, maybe what we have to do is uh, find walled off uh, contexts, uh, environmental spaces in which to experiment with alternative ways to decrease the, the pest population so that we then we'll have these um, uh, the, these pilot um, pilot experiences for people to uh, um, to um, realize what life can be like again when um, when they're uh, when they can hear the birds again and when they can hear the uh, you know see the see the um, more diverse uh, wildlife and and then that would create the public um, Excitement to make it happen in other areas, and so as a result of that crowdsourcing, they started to work on uh, specific islands and trying to uh, to create this walled-off space for it mm -hmm. uh, for the pest control. So the concept here is that you're um, you can call it a triggering, a creativity triggering crowdsourcing that is going on instead of an idea. Uh, sharing crowdsourcing. Mm -hmm. And so, so then what I was able to do was actually run an experiment where half of the um, crowdsourcing challenges were allocated to the idea sharing and half allocated to the, um, to the triggering. And we found that the triggering uh, generated more innovative solutions. Mm -hmm. So just kind of for clarification purposes, so when I hear ex explain on mine, cuffing or uh, triggering is that you make not just basically you're not just asking them to share ideas but they you um, share their con context their experiences um, that is so important to actually you know um, redefine the problem in a sense right. and learn about what people actually think and assumptions and then maybe question them also together rather than just building upon my own assumption and experiences because we all, when we make choices, really rely on our own context rather than, you know, rethinking it by, you know, looking at what others are saying. Exactly. Yeah. Precisely. Exactly. Well said. Okay. Then, then I have, like, one, one question um, related to that. In what this, because but something also, um, let's say, my group and I are interested in the role of kind of reuse and recombination. What's then the... Re role of that in online caffeine and triggering versus idea sharing only. Yes, it's it's a very large role, but um, it, what we find is because these are triggers for creativity, it's not a direct reuse, uh -huh. and so so as a result, you don't have some of the problems in normal idea sharing crowdsourcing where people say, "Well, wait a minute, you know that was my idea, and you reused my idea." And that's and that's not fair. Mm -hmm. um, so what ends up happening is you get like this example where um, where somebody is coming up with an idea that yes, it's a combination of other people's experiences, but it's been put into this context of an island, and and that's certainly not what the trapper initially talked about. That's certainly not what the 
person who was sad about not hearing the birds was talking about and certainly not mm -hmm. what the Maori was mm -hmm. talking about. So it's a much more of a cognitive recombination right. than, a, than an actual physical recombination, which is what most people have studied because that's, that's, it's easier to study recombination and reuse of, of the actual digital artifacts. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so that's why I don't tend to use the word reuse and recombination because when I look at the data, I don't see the obvious reuse and recombination. I see a lot of more of a triggering to new ideas and, uh, and that clearly are referencing mm -hmm. something they saw in, in a prior post, in a prior contribution, but isn't a precise uh, reuse. So, so mm -hmm. we actually, in our crowdsourcing experiment, asked them to reference prior, um, uh -huh. pr prior ideas. And, and what we found is when they were referencing them and we read them, we didn't read the same thing into the, into the post that, that they had referenced. Mm -hmm. So they basically completely reinterpret, you know, what they yes. see, or they might even get, you know, triggered and then think of something very unrelated. You know, that's when we have these cognitive, you know, jumps that are going on in our mind as we get exposed and form kind of very unrelated, you know, analogies that someone would not think of. Right. Yes, exactly, and that's very hard to to track, you know, yeah. behaviorally because it's something going on in their brain. Yeah. So, okay, that's interesting. So I guess because we're coming to an end, then just one final question, because in your book you also talk about kind of emerging events that require people to align their goals, you know, move towards a common goal. And how does uh, unmind cuffing help people to collaborate quickly towards a common goal? Well, I think what, it's, it, what we're talking about, especially in the world, in the crises that we're facing today, is, um, is the con there isn't a single common goal in the sense that we're not all, let's say, if you are an organization, say, say a small restaurant, and you're trying to figure out how to rethink um, the services you provide, it's not that there's, the crowd has said, well, we're going to all help you figure out what the services you should provide as if there was a single goal that we all sign up for. It's more of, it's, it's more of um, you're asking the crowd to come up with innovative ways that a restaurant could service uh, its customer base in new ways. And so, it, so what's, um, what's nice about this un-mind-cuffing is that you don't require the crowd to solve your problem you're simply asking the crowd to innovate about that general set of problems. And what they'll do is innovate along multiple lines. And so mm -hmm. you'll get multiple different kinds of innovative ideas that you can then pursue. And so, so, so they'll kind of break out into, you know, some of them, like in the pest case, uh, we're focusing on the island. Others of them focused more on alternative um, methods, that non um, non-trapping, non-poison um, methods for killing pests. And, uh, and so, so they were just trying different kinds of uh, tracks, if you will, for their innovations. And so, uh, and given that wicked problems are so you know, wicked, meaning there are lots of different ways to attack them, you want that kind of richness 
from your crowd. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's going to apply in the world of the crises that we're facing today as well as the future world where, um, where what we have is general turbulence, not necessarily a pandemic. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you, Anne. I learned a lot today about, you know, online cuffing versus idea sharing. Um, is there anything at the end you want, you know, to give the audience to know or a statement or for scholars, for researchers, but also just, you know, uh, practitioner or programmers that work on software related to that? Well, only that the crowd is, is being underutilized. And, uh, and the crowd is a set of individuals who have a lot to contribute to solving these these seemingly impenetrable problems that we're facing, and it's and it's not the fault of the crowd that um, that these problems are not solved. It's the fault of us researchers trying to figure out how to effectively use the crowd. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. Then I guess what everybody should do who's interested in the topic to read your book, which uh, is available um, for sale, I think, as a Kindle version, but also as a as a hard copy on Amazon, and um, um, I'm hoping that people do that. Thank you again, Anne. And thank you again for inviting me to your center, and um, all of you researchers should be much more be aware of, uh, of this center at Purdue. Okay. Thank you, Anne. Thank you. Bye.